You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Hey, Victoria. Hey, How are you Victoria? doing? Good. It's good to see you guys. It's good to Absolutely. see you, too. I mean, it was always fun when we were seeing each other every week, but now that I don't get to see you as often, it's even more fun to see you. Absolutely. Nice haircut. We're excited to see what you've brought uh, to the mix. Yeah. Well, today I'm going to talk about a, a cute animal. Very cute animal. Ooh, I love cute right. animals. Yeah. But there's this whole category of animals that look cute, but actually you kind of need to be really careful handling them. So okay. I would, in, okay. yeah, I would include in this category, you know, for, for different, different reasons, hedgehogs, oh, yep. skunks, sure. oh, yeah. slow, lor- slow lorises. <laughs> yeah, okay. These are all yeah. very valid Careful things. with your skunk yeah. handling. Uh, poison arrow frogs. Mm-hmm. Oh, adorable, but yes. don't touch them. Right. Um, but I'm going to introduce you to a different cute, but slightly dangerous animal that you may or may not have heard of. Ooh. Excellent. We are talking about the spiny mouse. Spiny this mouse. sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if I know this one. I'm excited. What, tell me about it. So it's yeah. a whole genus of mice. So there's a bunch of species. Um, they all look quite similar to normal mice, like the house mouse or any wild mice that live okay. around you. Like we have white-footed mice here in Minnesota. Um, mm-hmm. They have their own genus, though. It's Acomis, Acomis, whatever how you pronounce that. Mm. Um, okay. And they're, as I said, pretty cute, typical-looking mice for the most part. However, although they look soft, as you might guess from their name, <laughs> the guard hairs on their back are actually very stiff and sharp. Oh, good. Uh, kind of, yeah, similar to the spines of a hedgehog or porcupine. Now, I don't <laughs> think they're like... Nice. Fabulous. I don't think they're as, as dangerous as a porcupine, but like... <laughs> You know, you can you can handle a hedgehog, but you don't want to like grab it hard, right? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I right. always want to squish them. They're so cute. Oh, hold on. Whoa, let you want to squish hedgehogs? Yeah, and like a little, not like squish to like kill them. Just like I want to give them a, a really really good hug. Okay, maybe don't use the word squish then. I'm just gonna put that out there. That I, has a certain connotation of crushing to death. So I'm just gonna. I knew what you meant, Rachel. Thanks, Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a literalist. What can I say? (laughs) Anyway, spiny mice are found in Africa and the Middle East and mainly in dry or desert areas. But in addition to their sharp hairs, uh, spiny mice have several unusual features, some of which have made them very interesting to scientific research. Okay. So their skin is extremely loose, soft, and easily torn. And Ooh, no. yes, oh. but, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, okay. okay. How? Well, it's a defense mechanism similar to how geckos why, why and other lizards oh. can shed their tails in order oh, no. to escape from predators um, and then regenerate the uh-huh. tail. The spiny no. mouse can shed no. chunks of its no. skin. 
Yeah. Oh. Oh. But, oh no, don't. I, this is. Oh, I'm gonna make it work. Really, I'm gonna really make gross. Oh, I'm gonna make it worse. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna make it worse. You ready? So you're saying the skin like yep. sloughs off? Yes. Oh, you said the S word, sloth. <laughs> it sloughs Jeez. off. Ugh. Ugh. I hate but that I did this that. is the amazing part it regenerates its skin including hair sweat glands cartilage everything with basically no scarring Whoa. that's super cool super yeah that's cool. this crazy. is the only mammal that can do that kind of regeneration um so there's actually a lot of interest in researching this to find out what genes might yeah. be involved and see if they actually might work in humans um, yeah. Do you know like what how much of their skin they can lose and grow back? Can it be like a complete degloving or like is oh. it just like they can lose some small pieces and be fine? Well, I didn't I'm sorry to use the phrase degloving. <laughs> oh. That's the term. I know, yeah, but that was I, I won't go down that route, but I've uh. seen some pictures in my nursing classes that are anyway. Oh, I bet you have. Hey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not in real life yet, fortunately. But uh, to get us back on track and answer your question, I did not um, dig into that area of research okay, much, okay. although I'm sure there is some. Mm. But my assumption is that since the skin tears so easily, it's more likely to break off in smaller pieces. Oh, that's a good thought. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, went to thought, I did not think of that. So <laughs> very good. Carry on. All right. Well, also, they tend to get fat in captivity more than other animals more than most other animals, and they're actually prone to getting diabetes. Don't we all? Yeah. That's like yeah. the human condition right now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but being prone to get diabetes, that's a potential natural model for type 2 diabetes in humans. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. And it was recently discovered that at least one species of spiny mouse, the Cairo spiny mouse, menstruates. What? I, huh. I did a whole episode about menstruation, as you may recall. It made both of you very uncomfortable. Yep. And um, you may or may not yeah. remember <laughs> that not very I remember many a lot from that episode, uh, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of primates do, but outside of the primates, only four species of bat plus the elephant shrew were previously known to menstruate. Um, so now they have a pretty easy to raise lab animal that could be used for research um into you know menstruation and pregnancy issues cool pretty cool wow. yeah uh but the main reason i am talking about spiny mice today is that some scientists recently discovered something very surprising and unusual about them which oh is boy. that they have armored tails what so yes. they um, can take their skin they, no their skin one had can noticed just come off well, I mean, their skin is falling off their body. I wouldn't really notice if they had an armored tail either. <laughs> now, what level well, of armor is this? Though, is, because... like, is this me medieval knight? Is this uh, like dinosaur club tail? Like, what is that one? It's not a stegosaur. It's like a, a plus five. What are we talking? Yeah. What, what's well, the, what they what's have the shield strength? is, yeah, uh, I'd say um, chainmail. Hmm? Ooh. That's pretty Wear good. Wear it under your clothes. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, is that a clue as to where the armor is located? Yes. Ooh. Uh -huh. yeah. They have osteoderms. Skin. Okay. Osteoderms? Really? 
Osteoderms, yes. So osteoderms are um, basically bony plates that exist under the skin. Uh, the other mammal, type of mammal that has them is armadillos. So the armadillo's armor is made of osteoderms. Okay. Right, uh, right. But lots of amphibians and reptiles and non-avian dinosaurs have or had osteoderms. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> so like... For crocodiles, the cro- the scales on a crocodile's body are osteoderms, yeah, yeah. and a turtle's scutes are oste- osteoderms. Um, oh, that's weird. So it's like a bony layer with a layer of skin epidermis over it. Um, but armadillos are the only living mammals known to have them until this recent discovery. A few oh, extinct no, mammals no, had yeah. them. There were like uh, some giant armadillos called glyptodonts. Oh, and yeah. Oh, those good. are so cool. Yeah. Super favorite. And some type of uh, some types of ground giant ground sloths also had them. Really? Yeah. Okay. Why not? But uh yeah. <laughs> these these osteoderms it's sort of surprising nobody found them before because these animals have been right. used in labs for years. But they were discovered by accident. Um Of course. Why would it be on purpose? The situation was yeah. Edward Stanley, who is a biologist at the Florida Museum of Natural History, was taking a CT scan of a spiny mouse, which is a series of x-rays, basically, uh, for a database of vertebrate species. It's like an online open access database. Oh, sure. Uh Very cool. Yeah. And he noticed he had previously worked with lizards, and he noticed that the images on the x-ray reminded him of the osteoderms of lizards that he had worked with. And so he actually got together with a colleague who happened to have experience in with working with spiny mice and did some investigation. And apparently all of the spiny mice have this. A few close relatives also have armored tails, but wow. more distant relatives like the house mouse do not. And okay. so based on this, um, they think that osteoderms have evolved independently 19 times in vertebrate species. <laughs> Whoa. Cool. I mean, the mechanism must be there, obviously, to do that, but that's very cool. Exactly, yes. Um, and so they think they've narrowed down which genes are responsible for it in spiny mice, which, you know. Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know if it's exactly the same genes as other. Um, right, right. That would be interesting to know, too. Yeah. Right. Exactly what the armor is for. Like, why do the mice need armor on their tail? (laughs) A little bit of an open question. Um, The thought is that if the tail were being attacked and the skin ripped off, it would sort of protect the structure of the tail. Yeah, because the tail is mostly like spine, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, bone and tendon and nerve. Yeah. Yeah. There's not, yeah. Hmm. But it also makes you ask the question, since this was discovered by accident, we haven't been looking for it. How many other species might be out there that have osteogens and we just have not noticed? Ooh. There's only one way to find out. Yeah, that's intriguing. Send a donation to the podcast now. We're going to buy a CT scanner (laughs) and uh, get to work, you guys. We'll let you know. Definitely what we're going to do with the money. Oh, yeah. yeah, one animal at a time. That's what I have. My s- main source today was an article in the New York Times that came out in May. 
And uh, yeah, that's that's what I have about spiny mice. Thanks. We are going to take cool. a break. You. Yeah, we are going to take a break, and Kirk will have some for us when we get back. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strangebynature. See you soon. This week, I'm talking about dragons. Yes. Ooh, I love a good dragon. Oh, yeah. Uh, Wait, I know what this is. These are aqu- aquatic dragons, and you're mm-hmm. probably wondering why, uh, since we decidedly don't choose mythical animals as topics on this show, right? I mean, part of the whole premise of the show is that science... Yeah, the whole idea is that science is stranger than fiction is kind of the the whole idea of the show here. But in this case, when I say I'm talking about dragons, I really mean it. I'm I'm talking about sea dragons that are completely real and not a made-up animal at all. They're so So, cool. You, of course, know what I'm talking about. I... I was inspired to talk about this topic because last week, Rachel talked about seahorses, and I think seahorses are pretty well known, but not many people know about their cousin, sea dragons. Now, to be clear, uh, they can't breathe fire. Uh, They can't burst out of the water and fly or transform into a human like Haku. There's another Miyazaki reference for our fans. Uh, Uh, That'd be so cool. they They also aren't putting any ships in danger or sending sailors fleeing in terror. Uh, being cousins of seahorses, you can imagine, they're a lot like seahorses. Yep. So the maximum size for a common sea dragon is 18 inches in length. That's that's pretty sizable, right? Yeah, that's not um, a bad again, size. <laughs> no, even at their maximum, that's more like cute size than terror of the sea size. I think we can all agree. That's like my arm. I think my, my interest in... My forearm. Yeah, you know? To once again use the Rachel as a standard unit of measure. Uh-huh. Uh, my interest in sea dragons began years ago when I worked at the 1.3 million gallon aquarium located deep under the Mall of America. Uh, <laughs> it has changed ownership and names many times since I worked there over two decades ago. Uh, it was literally a different century <laughs> when I worked there, I realized, <laughs> which is a, a really strange thought. Uh-huh. But anyhow, anyhow, not to call it how old I am, uh, we had a smaller tank uh, there that was not the million-plus-gallon walkthrough one. And in the smaller tank, we kept seahorses. And now, my recollection was that the husbandry staff told me that they hadn't ever actually bought any seahorses for the aquarium. They had just accidentally come in shipments of other animals over the years. So basically, they were buying large amounts of like fresh krill, fresh krill and shrimp and things like that to feed the thousands of animals that live in the aquarium. And they would empty these shipments into holding tanks before feeding the animals. And sometimes, because these creatures were caught, you know, live caught in the ocean, mm-hmm. like an occasional teeny tiny seahorse would end up <laughs> scooped up into one of these shipments. 
And normally I think no one would even notice that they were ended up being, you know, fed to animals and whatnot. But the husbandry staff had a keen eye. And when they would spot one of these tiny seahorses, they would scoop it out and carefully feed it and care for it until it could be added to our larger seahorse tank. Now, I have, I have no idea if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, it seems kind of bizarre, but that's a story as I remember it all these years later. Uh, I mean, and there's not a single person who works there now, either in management <laughs> or the interpretive staff or husbandry staff that can verify my story. So I'm sticking to it. Uh, now, I do know in this tank, uh, there was at least one sea dragon as well. And mm-hmm. that w- it was just fascinating to watch. So unlike sea horses, which were pretty easy to spot in the tank, a sea dragon is harder to see. Uh, the one yeah. we had was a we- called a, we- a weedy sea dragon oh, or what we sometimes yeah. call the common sea dragon. And so these are the most common ones. Uh, these are the ones that can get to be like 18 inches long. I think ours was maybe th- like three or four inches long. Or maybe maybe it was getting four inches by the time I left. It got a little bigger. Uh, they are brightly colored with purples and reds. Uh, uh, they also have iridescent blue and purple striped necks, which is gorgeous. That's so Their cool. tail doesn't curl up like is characteristic with a seahorse. It's more held out straight. And I'd say the most noticeable difference is that there's these strange leaf-like appendages that hang off their body. Oh, yeah. Which is so cool. They have leaves sprouting from their body. Uh, this is why the animal is sometimes called the weedy sea dragon because it has these little, let's say a little floating piece of weed or kelp. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a coincidence. Weedy sea dragons live in kelp beds and their camouflage is pretty good. I used to try to point this creature out to guests at the aquarium uh, who were looking at the seahorses. And sometimes they'd have trouble even seeing it. They're like, where? I'm right there. Where? I'm like, it's it's right there. <laughs> it's or like right behind that. And they're like, I don't see it. It's like, okay, well, just watch for something to move. Okay. It's there. Uh, Now, the weedy sea dragon that I mentioned is the one that I got to work with, but there's actually some other types. While there are 46 different species of seahorses, like Rachel mentioned last week, there's only three species of sea dragons. Wow. So considerably fewer. Aside from the weedy or common sea dragon, we have the leafy sea dragon and, excitingly, the newly discovered ruby sea dragon, which was unknown to science before 2015. So that's pretty recent. And they're they're bright red. That's why they're called (laughs) ruby sea dragon. And no one had ever seen them, which is pretty cool. Uh, So uh, what I described earlier was the weedy sea dragon. Rachel and Victoria, uh, it's your turn now. So I want to check out these photos of the leafy sea dragon and then describe what you're seeing for our dear listeners. So you'll need to look up leafy sea dragon. I mean, it looks like a piece of seaweed. Oh, yeah. Right? Tell me yeah, about like it, the colors and the shape. What do you see for like those a, people who are driving their cars right now? It looks like a so piece of ginger picture? root with uh, Ooh, pieces that's of, a good one. of seaweed hanging off of it. Okay. Yeah, it kind of like you Rachel, picture you a think? seahorse, but mixed with like a ginger root, like Victoria was saying, and it looks like um, okay. the leafy bits could be like multiple like legs because it tends. It looks like it's mostly going um, like it looks like those would be where its legs were. It has a lot of interesting appendages. Okay. It looks a lot like yeah, and they don't have legs, so yeah, yeah. Looks like a bunch of fish. Yeah, or like, because they're like, fish. You know, yeah, when they're technically you are fish. In like a lake 
Right. You know when you're in a lake and you get a bunch of seaweed and uh-huh. you stick it on your head like you're trying to be a sea hag or whatever, but you're floating in I mean, the water uh, underneath like, the water? You no. you apparently do that, Rachel, but I, mean, I haven't done it in a long that, but... time, but like, yeah. That that's what it looks like. It looks like, like to you me. with seaweed well, it on looks, your head. It, All right, cool. it reminds uh, yeah. you of that, of the flowiness of it. Got you. Yeah, it's real. It's flowy. They're amazing. One of the things that's really striking uh, that you mentioned, it right, hit the nail on the head, is their camouflage. These are not bright and colorful. Oh, no. These like are the like sea dragon. tan. Uh, and these are. Like, these are the ones greenish. I'm more familiar yeah. with. Like yellow. They're exactly the color of a floating plant. There's kind of a, like, I think it was like a pale yellowish green, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also those leaf-like appendages, instead of being like a single stalk with a single leaf on the end, like they are on the uh, weedy sea dragon, on the leafy sea dragon, there are like multi, uh, they are a multi-branched affair that support multi-leaves. So it's like this little fractal of leaves coming off their body. It's, it's stunning uh, it, how leaf-like and really much it looks like vegetation, really literally like a little floating clump of vegetation just floating around the ocean. They are super, super amazing. Now, cool. I will say these are found just like all the sea dragons in the near coastal waters of where else but Australia. Australia. So once again, shout out to Australia and all of your amazing wildlife and your right? and you know what? Shout out to your amazing podcast listeners as well. I, I, I do have to say something, though, to our listeners in Australia. I, I have a bit of a challenge for you. You see, Ooh. last month, Australia. You had a 2% lead over Canada in our listener base. <laughs> and uh, we had more listeners in Australia than Canada. But Australia, I got to say, so far this month, Canada has taken a slight lead in the downloads. <laughs> Are you just going to sit there drinking a non-watery beer and let Canada take your spot in third place? I mean, if you're satisfied with being in fourth place, you know, and letting Canada beat you, well, then by all means, just keep doing what you're doing. But maybe... You know, just maybe it's it's Rachel's proximity <laughs> to the Canadian border that's driving listenership, but they've upped their download game, you guys. Time to tell Canada, yeah, nah, it's time to tell your friends about this fair income podcast you're listening to and take back your place in the standings. Now, to my dear Canadian friends over the border, you're on notice now, too. You're only beating Australia by less than two-tenths of a percent at this point, and they're coming for you. So you better pass your friend to Molson and tell him about the crazy stuff you've been hearing on here and don't take this lying down. Okay. All right. So look, I, I will say United Kingdom. Well done, friends. Uh, you've been telling your mates. I can see it in the stats. Cheers. Keep it up. So look, I've gotten off topic. Uh, I, I really just wanted to tell you about sea dragons and oh, then pit so Australia cool. and Canada against each other to see which amazing country <laughs> get, can get more new, new listeners by the end of the summer or winter as the case may be to our friends in the Southern Hemisphere. So we'll check back at the end of August and see which country comes out ahead. I will be reporting back. So tell your friends, Good Good get plan. those numbers up, and we'll see. I mean, it's, it's so close right now. Uh, I, I, I believe in all of you. And I just, I love when people share the podcast. So look, that's what I got this week. I wanted a little quick update on uh, sea dragons as an addendum to the seahorse uh, talk of last last week. So that's that's what I got. We're going to take a break. And uh, I hope you're all still listening uh, for <laughs> Rachel's amazing segment coming right up. Ooh, it's going to be okay. fun.
All right, welcome back, everybody. So to kick things back off here, uh, or to end today, I suppose, uh, I'm going to test your both of your knowledge as uh, educators and as naturalists. What color is a oh, river? Amazing. I love it. Bring it on. Bring it on. What color Ready? is a river? Brown. Brown. Yeah, brown is the first thing that comes to my mind. Mm. Well, welcome to the exception. So this exception, it was originally found by cattle farmers, or so the legend goes, in 1969. But it wasn't widely known until in 1989 when a Colombian journalist named Andres uh, Hurtado Garcia, uh, he was going through the jungle, which at the time was being controlled by FARC guerrillas and drug traffickers. Oh, so this wow. is in central oh, Colombia. Okay. No. Uh, right. He stumbled across this absolutely gorgeous river, and he took a picture of it, and he sold it to a local Colombian uh, newspaper, and he called it the most beautiful river in the world. This is a 62.1 mile long river <sighs> called the Cano de la Cristales. Uh, yes, apparently I can do Spanish better than Latin. The irony is not lost on me. Um, hmm. Which is also known as the River of Five Colors or the Liquid Rainbow. It, it's on, uh, we're looking at pictures right yeah, now. Yeah, it's unbelievable. No, this is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it's located in the Serenia de la Macarena uh, National Park in central Colombia. Eh, Macarena. Um, Someone was going to do there it. There it is. Damn. I figured I would be <laughs> the one. Was, I was thinking. I was doing the research and I was like, oh my God, I can't not, but I, I can't do that. Oh, thank you, Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> um, but why is this strange? Uh, well, first yeah, of all, what, I... this, <laughs> what, what is <laughs> happening there, right? So <laughs> well, do we, should we, we should describe this for, for, for listeners. Yeah, like... go ahead and describe it. Well, it's got very clear water. Very clear water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the small there's river. something under the water that's in the water that is like sort of like if someone had dumped a tie-dye into a river yeah there's like i mean there are magenta iridescent greens and yellows mm. and blues and um like yeah the magenta is like the most outrageous riot of of sort of pinkish magenta uh it's like yeah. it's sort of the first thing it reminds me of when i've seen it is anyone who's seen the um the grand prismatic pool at um yellowstone Mm. Mm. and if you've seen the amazing colors in that this makes that look dull and boring (laughs) Mm -hmm. and second class because the colors in here are so much brighter so much more vibrant and (laughs) it's shocking absolutely shocking beautiful gorgeous i'm sure there's pictures on our instagram check it out right now not if you're driving but you know, yeah, if you don't are check able. Instagram if you drive. Yeah, it'll be on our Instagram for sure. Yeah. So this only happens, uh, and this is the only known location in the world where this happens. It might happen in a river too that's a tributary of this um, okay. in that general area. But <sighs> the, this is actually due to some uh, river weeds that okay. live here. So these are all, um, this is all plant life. That's these colors. 
This is oh. all plant life. So this happens from June awesome. to end of June, early-ish July to October, November. Uh, between the rainy and dry seasons, okay. the river has to be quite literally just at the right uh, level. Oh, okay. It, the water itself isn't actually the rainbow, like you were all saying. Victoria, you pointed out that the water is actually pretty clear. Oh, it's crystal clear. And that's clear, because yeah. there's not a lot of, yeah, there's not a lot of nutrients or anything that floats through. There's not a lot of sediments or anything like that in this. Um, there's tons of waterfalls and there's giants kettle spots uh, mm -hmm. throughout the entire river, which is just beautiful. Um. It's a plant that's called the Macarena clavigera. <laughs> okay. So named after the place once more. Uh, this plant will change once that water level rises just enough and enough sunlight hits a certain, uh, hits the plants. The plants will change from a mossy dull green. Huh to mm -hmm. all of those colors that you were seeing. So the bright wow. pinks, the yellows, the reds, the purples, and it covers the whole riverbed. Wow. Ugh. Now, oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. So is the color, uh, I'm guessing, correlates to depth of the water? Is kind of what, it and, does, what, yes. And it's how much sunlight they're getting? Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's why some of these uh, kettles the are like a rainbow down the side. Uh, exactly. Going from like purple to you know violet to purple to blue to green. It's yeah, mm -hmm. wow, stunning. Exactly. Hence, you know, liquid rainbow. <laughs> yes, that's that's the absolute best description right there. It's a liquid rainbow. Gosh. Oh yeah. Golly now, gee. The <laughs> <laughs> gee Willikers. Now the macarena. <laughs> now the macarena uh, clavigaria uh, is actually pretty well rare river reed. River weed, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, it only grows here in a couple of the rivers nearby, and part of the reason why they think that this river or this river weed, which is endemic to this area, really only grows there, is because this river flows through the quartzite rocks of the Ga Guyana Shield, okay. uh, which is actually one of the oldest geologic formations that's still around at one point cool. two billion years old. That's up there. Oh, yeah. Billion with a B. <laughs> that's. Uh, I mean, so are the rocks old. that are right outside your door right now, literally, Rachel, but that's because you live in a very old well, place. Well, yeah, so. I know. <laughs> so for me, it's like, ah, that's fine. Like, yeah, what's a billion years? Kind of I'll just kick this rock down the road. <laughs> but yeah, for a lot of places, that's not, that's unusual. So I'll give you that. Absolutely. So this river actually didn't get visited and it wasn't super well known until a peace treaty was signed with the F.A. Um, R.C. guerrilla crew, the FARC, um, FARC. which was, happened, the FARC, um, in 2016. So, and since 2016, tourism has gone up to this river. Now, it's not an easy spot why, to get yeah. to. You have to have, yeah, you have to have, it is within a national park. It's not an easy place to visit. So you have to have a government licensed tour guide to go, uh, mm -hmm. as well as a permit. And now since the pandemic, there is a daily cap of how many people can visit. Um, mm -hmm. But at one point at its peak after 2016 uh, and before the pandemic, there was up to about 16,000 people came to see this river. Ooh. 
which is uh, but per a day? lot of people. <laughs> that was per day, year. Rachel? Oh, in a year. Oh, no, I, I think, think it was per day, and I'm like, oh, or my at least God. During, I think at least, I take it back. Maybe not in a year, but definitely within the peak periods. Because oh, like, if you don't go when within it's, those Yeah, it's periods, only certain times when it's, it's like that. Be, okay. Because that was like exactly. 16,000 over the course of the year is not that much. But then if it's like only when it's at that peak color, then that's a lot of people at once. Yeah. Especially in a remote so location. They have a lower cap now for gotcha. how many people can go and everything. Because this area of um this area of Columbia is a really interesting spot. Uh biologically speaking, there's a lot of biodiversity. I was reading a little bit about the area and there's like something like four hundred odd birds in this area. There's iguanas, turtles, oh, fish. Birds, you say? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Go birds. ahead and <clears throat> book my trip here. Hold on. I have not, I've been to Colombia once, but I did not have a chance to go here. So that's very cool. Yeah, I've been to Bogota, Uh, but that's it. Wait, two of the two thirds of our podcast hosts have been to Colombia? I went there on a business trip. That's amazing. Back when I was Well, that just means that I need to go, right? It does, yeah. I was, I was in Hmm. Cartagena, is where I went. Cool. I have not so gone. Rachel, I guess you're going to the river of five colors. <laughs> Let us know how it works that out. That sounds amazing. Oh, I will. Uh, so my sources this week, that's really all I had for y'all, but it was, uh, it's a Go check it out. Spot. It's stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. check it out. It's amazing. Uh, my sources this week were CNN Travel, uh, Wikipedia, uh, BBC, and for some reason, which didn't get translated while I was reading it, was the uh, National Ge- Geographic Espana. So I deciphered as much <laughs> as I could from my limited knowledge of Very Spanish. good. Very good. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I think that wraps us all up for this week. So thank you all for listening. We will see you, see next, you time. next week. See you next time. Get on in Australia. Canada, don't let them do it. thanks everyone for listening to today's show be sure to subscribe new episodes drop every wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review that would be great it lets other lovers of the strange discover the show you can reach out to us on social media by searching for strange by nature podcast on twitter facebook and instagram you can send us an email as well our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.